Show, a show for men and the people who love them, where we discuss how men can find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves. I am your host, Dr. Charles Corpru. What's good, everybody? Seems like it's been a long time, uh, almost five weeks since we had some time together. Got some vacation time, got to go to Florida. Was honored at the Black Enterprise Black Men Excel Summit. Got to meet some amazing people from across the country doing some amazing things. Talking about men, uh, making sure that we are doing and excelling and having the support that we need. So shout out to Black Enterprise, shout out to all the good brothers that I met, all the good sisters who experienced Florida uh, during uh, the last week in August. But happy to be back. You know, as they say, you know, I shouldn't have left you. <laughs> Without a strong rhyme to step to. So we're back at it uh, with the Western Revolution show. Looking forward to a new season here on WBOK. Also simulcast on WHIV 102.3. Exciting season. couple weeks we'll have the Black, Man, the Black Enterprise Man of the Year, Frank Brady, on the show. So I'm looking forward to that as we come up to our new season here with WBOK. I have to think about why I started this show almost two years ago. Uh, it really has been a conversation for men, and I said the people who love them. Because as we go through this time, this arduous and sometimes tumultuous time, how do we find the information? How do we find the support? And that's what this show is about. But one of the things that I talk about on the show all the time is how do we show up? How do we partner? How do we ensure that the people that we work with, the people that we love, the people that who are in our lives and the people that we just meet on the street, that we show up for them? And I always want to make sure that we are activists, that we are out in front, behind, beside, wherever we need to be as men for the people who ascribe differently than us. And so I have been talking with our good friends at Lyft Louisiana and over the course of this show, you'll learn more about Lyft Louisiana. But I decided, I was like, who can we partner with to make sure that men who listen to the show actually understand how to be activists? And so I am joined today by Geraldine Neville, who is the vice president of Lyft Louisiana's advisory board, and Robin Barber, the statewide community engagement coordinator, also for Lyft Louisiana. So thank you for joining me, ladies. I appreciate it. How y'all doing? Wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. Uh, so as we talk, as we talk, and, and the first thing that we always ask our guest is, what's your revolution? So, Geraldine, what's your revolution? Oh, putting me on the spot. Um, well, um, through um, the work that Lyft does, um, I am happy to be um, engaging um, in reproductive rights advocacy um, and you know, doing doing my very best to uh, provide people with the tools they need to advocate for themselves. Right, right. Advocate for themselves. What does that mean? What does that look like for you when you say when people can advocate for themselves? Well, it it, it really it it means that you're providing people um, with the information um, to, that they need. Um, to understand the policy changes that affect them directly and to um, impact them by contacting their legislators and holding them accountable. Mm, that's right. That's right. Robin, thank you. What's your revolution? Um, just trying to keep people engaged. Um, I think it's important that we do 
I think it's important that we do. I think it's important that we get young people involved. Um, I think it transcends color. Um, I've been in health education for over 25 years, so I hope to continue that um, and just pull more people into the platform. And that's what we need to do, pulling people into the platform and really hearing the, the various messages that we have around the country. And that's why I'm so honored to have this partnership. I know that your executive director, Michelle Nuremberg, uh, has, you know, her impetus and her thought about Lift Louisiana has been really getting people to advocate, as you said, to show up for themselves. So I want to get into this. You know, if somebody on the street said, you know what, you're partnering with this organization, who is or what is Lift Louisiana? Tell us more about it. So Lift Louisiana is a uh, reproductive rights organization um, that's based in Louisiana. We are the only um, organization in the state of Louisiana with a focus uh, on directly impacting policy. And we do this by uh, educating, advocating, and litigating for policy changes that are needed to improve the health and well-being of Louisiana women, their children, and um, their communities and families. Um, we do this through uh, collaborating and creating, uh, you know, reciprocal relationships that are going to shift the that are going to shift power to improve the quality of people's lives um, by improving their access uh, to reproductive health care. Um, you know, anything from that to um, e- issues of equal pay or how women are treated in, um, in, when they're incarcerated. You know, it's interesting hearing that, Geraldine, because it brings up so much of, you know, as we called back in you know, elementary school and middle school, current events, mm-hmm. right? And thinking about Justice Kavanaugh mm-hmm. and what's going on. You talk about reproductive rights, and you, you talk about being, women being able to advocate to their legislators uh, uh, about their own body. And it was really interesting last week, and Robin, you can chime in on this as well, as I was listening to the confirmation hearings, right? Uh, I know where you're going. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Listening to the conversations and the revolutionary Kamala Harris, you know, talked about uh, and really went in on yes, Justice, Justice Kavanaugh um, about his stances on various uh, issues when it came to reproductive rights. But the question that she asked him, you know, which really stood out to me was, could he think about any legislation that regulated a man's reproductive rights, a man's body, right? And so what were your thoughts when you heard that? Well, I was like, exactly. She nailed it on the head. I mean, I mean and he stumbled with that. <laughs> it's like he was almost shocked, you know, that she would ask him something like that. He was te- totally not prepared. But as you think about that, there, there is not any legislation that I know of. I couldn't think of anything myself. legislates, you know, what a man can do with his body. Right. And so this notion that women's bodies have to be, you know, legislated, yeah, you know, just – it Unnatural. It is. Yeah. It is unnatural. Undemocratic. Undemocratic. Yeah. Jody, how do you? How do we get to this space where we? Is there a little history behind it? How do we get to a sp- where we began legislating women's bodies? Well, I mean, I think the history of that, you know, probably goes back to biblical times, right? I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, it's a, it's a history that I can recount in this, in this short segment. Uh, but with regards to Kavanaugh, however, I would say that um, you. You know, one of the reasons that his positions are so alarming is because they go beyond, you know, the, of course, when people think of reproductive rights, the first issue that they think of abortion, obviously, but beyond his, um, his, 
positions on that, which um, have been alarming given that, you know, he the only case that we know that he sat on as a judge um, what you know, was a decision where he um, he sided with uh, denying access to abortion for um, a woman who was being held in federal custody uh, for illegally crossing the border. Right, right. I remember that. So that's the only example that we have of his record on that. But beyond that, we also know that he argued uh, in the U.S. District Court uh, to uh, – to, um, on the side of a Catholic organization that wanted to deny their employees access to birth control mm-hmm. uh, based on uh, religious ex- exemption. Um, so that in and of itself is very alarming, um, and particularly in a state of Louisiana should be of concern, um, you know, because we know that Louisiana has some of the lowest uh, public health rankings, right. uh, and the numbers are even are even higher and, and more detrimental amongst people of color. Uh, we know that 58.2 percent of pregnancy and in, in pregnancies in Louisiana are unplanned, and as of 2010, 78.7 um, were publicly funded versus the 68 percent that were funded nationally. Wow! So when you look at numbers like that, I mean, in a state that is in the middle of a budget crisis, I mean. It just makes one financial sense to want to fund um, birth control right. and, and allow yeah. people access to that. Um, but moreover, you know, when you look at the fact that in um, – you know, in Louisiana, we do have a number of regulations going back to the abortion issue. We have a number of unnecessary re- regulations um, on abortion clinics um, that may threaten to shut down the three clinics that, that exist in the state currently servicing the entire state. Right. Um, so when you have regulations like that in place, a, a justice like Kavanaugh, uh, just having him sitting on the bench could embolden um, lower courts to act more conservatively. So we could, you know, people often talk about if Roe is overturned, even if Roe wasn't overturned, we would feel the ripple effects of that. And that's why actually yesterday, as a matter of fact, Lift Louisiana filed motion against the state um, asking uh, a Louisiana court to strike down these regulations because we know that um, we'll feel the ripple effects of this appointment far sooner than most other states. Right, right. And one of the things I think about if you, when you're talking about reproductive rights and you're talking about abortion, um, can you speak just to a, a little bit about the, the legislation that comes into play um, about doctors having to have admitting privileges and why there are so few abortion clinics here in the state? Uh, well, that regulation has been one that Lift Louisiana, Planned Parenthood, and other organizations that are involved in the reproductive rights, health, and justice work have been fighting for a while. Um, you know, no other physician has to have um, admitting privileges within a so many mile radius. Right. Um, except physicians that perform, wow. you know, abortions, right. OBGYNs. Um, and, you know, that's a burden in itself, you know, which is are taking more OBGYNs away from even wanting to perform the service right. for women here in the state of Louisiana. But even when you push past uh, abortion, the issue of abortion, I mean, Lift Louisiana advocates for so many things as well. Um, you know, equal pay. You know, I mean... Women make up the majority of the breadwinners or the, you know, people that earn the wages in the household. So when you chop that head off, you are 
basically starving the family. Right. You know, right. and we know all the other reasons of why, you know, there are not that many two-parent stable households. But when you don't have the money and you don't have the resources and you don't know the law or the issues that, you know, are going to affect how it's going to affect you and your family, you know, it's our job to make sure people have that. And that's one of the things I think Lift Louisiana does well. Right, right. It's interesting. I know, uh, depending on the state, as low as 52, 58 cents to every to a white man's dollar. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, depending on the state. Absolutely. Uh, and, and that's just for one job. Right. Just, Oftentimes, you know, the, these women are working two, two and three, three jobs. jobs. Exactly, yes. exactly. And so speak more, um, Geraldine, to how Lyft is really trying to advocate uh, – for all of the the platforms, really, what is the work that you all are doing, and how can we see it, you know, from a legislative perspective, from a, a programming perspective as well? So, on on one level, um, you know, we um, we are. We are educating uh, individuals um, on a number of levels. Um, on one hand, we're educating um, attorneys that are uh, willing and interested in, um, in in representing individuals trying to access their reproductive rights. For example, um, we have um, a part of our uh, of our programming is um, the. Um, uh, is is actually helping um, uh, helping uh, in the state of Louisiana. We also have a regulation that states that minors need parental consent uh, to uh, access uh, an abortion. There are a number of reasons why a minor might need parental uh, might need to have an abortion without parental consent. Uh, they could be emancipated. Mm. Uh, they could also, um, you know, they could, you know, they could also be in a situation where if their parents found out about this, they could be in physical danger. There's a number of reasons. Um, and and as we saw in the in the you know the case that uh, Judge Kavanaugh uh, ruled on, um, in that case there was an individual who could not contact her parents because they were in another country. Um, so um, what that program does, the, the Judicial Bypass Project, uh, it connects minors with attorneys who are able to file a petition with a judge um, that allows them to access those services without the consent of a parent. Right. Um, so that's one piece of it. Um, you know, we, we help through advocacy or actually helping people to advocate for themselves, which is a lot of, of the work that Robin does, and I think she can she could speak more to that. Um, and, um, of course, the, the litigation that we're doing, like the suit that we've, you know, we've, we've filed against the state. Um, do you want to speak more about the advocacy work that sure. you're involved in? Um, the civic engagement piece that I'm responsible for, particularly north of the state, areas like Shreveport, Bossier City, Alexandria, Monroe, is to build coalitions right. with other organizations that are in this fight, too. Um, and, and everybody has a slice of that pie. Um, a lot of pushback that we get um, primarily has been coming from that part of the state. Right. Um, more conservative part more of the con state. That, um, exactly. Yeah, I was trying to be politically No, correct. no. <laughs> it's all good. This is WBOK. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that part of the state. Right. And had, have, are starting to see some successes. Right. Um, in Monroe, we've got a coalition of some African-American ministers that want to partner with us. Right. Um, and also the Louisiana Public Health Institute to help educate our community 
uh, about some of the, like uh, uh, Geraldine said, you know, some of the rankings that we totally, you know, lead in the state, like the instances of high rates of STIs or sexually mm. transmitted infections right. and diseases. Believe it or not, uh, the first case of syphilis that has been, you know, eradicated for years, right. but now it's back in a vent, like wow. a vengeance in the state of Louisiana. First cases were out of Shreveport. Now, most people probably would think it was coming out of New coming Orleans. out of New Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. And so when people hear that, that's shocking to them. But we want to turn shock into action right. um, and help protect ourselves and our children. And this is not just for, you know, preteens, you know, teenagers. There are a lot of adults that are, you know, falling victim to this as well. Right. You're listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corpro, sitting here with my partners from Lift, Louisiana, Geraldine Neville and Robin Barber, as we talk about uh, how men, and we're going to get to that conversation, how men can be more of an activist for women and other populations. So you talked about the the pastors, and so that allows me to segue into this question, is that knowing that Justice Kavanaugh most likely is going to be confirmed, mm-hmm. um, probably by the end of the month, uh, knowing that Louisiana has various regulations on the books that stymie, uh, uh, the, the stymie the ability for women to thrive, how do we as men get behind or get in front wherever we need to be to make sure that we are supportive of women's rights. I am glad you asked that question, and I'm going to take this first stab at it, because I was kind of outraged a couple of weeks ago uh, when the president of of these United States came out and called Omarosa Mm. a dog. And I get it. It was Omarosa, and maybe many of us in the African-American community were upset with her by partnering with you know, Donald Trump anyway. Right. But the fact that I did not hear many comments, few to none, from any of the organizations, African-American male organizations, right. to say, you know, hold up, pull up. You know, we can't let you say this about, you know, I mean, because it was Omarosa that day. It could be your mother the next day, your sister, your aunt. Right. I just didn't see the representation, the backing from, you know, black men who are heads of our household. Exactly. And it it is a very interesting thing because Omarosa has been painted uh, in a certain light. She has been cast as a villain. Uh, the running joke around that was that, you know, when it happened, we will, you know, we'll invite her to the picnic. Um, well, she has to take a to-go <laughs> she plate. She has to take yeah. a to-go plate. But <laughs> even in saying that, Robin and Geraldine, um, it, it discounts her. Right. Right. It, right. it, it discounts our belief in the diversity of who we are as people. Right. Um, right. And I think that we lost an opportunity as men to stand up and say, whoa. Right. This is not going to happen in our community. Right. Not on our watch. Right. Absolutely. Not not on our watch. Absolutely. It's problematic. Geraldine, same question to you. How do men show up? How do we make sure? And and I say, you know, out in front, behind or side by side, because it depends on the situation, the context and how we're asked to show up. And I think that's key. What's, what are your thoughts? How do we how do we show up to make sure that we are advocating an activist for women? Uh, I, I think that the, the most important aspect of, you know, being an advocate, being an ally, um, I should say, and, and this applies, you know, for men being allies for women or, you know, anyone trying to be an ally for any group that is being marginalized, um, is to first and foremost, listen, mm-hmm. um, you know, listen to 
what you know what the grievance is of that group and and try to put yourself in in that person's place you know um really again meeting people where they are right um and um you know let the individual dictate to you what they foresee as the solution and trying to find that space in between where you can help facilitate it. Um, and in the case of, you know, issues such as these, particularly issues that are viewed as, you know, women's women's issues, um, like reproductive rights, um, like harassment in the workplace, right. victim blaming, which mm-hmm. is what I hear in the, you know, in the Amorosa uh, that she had it. That she, she had it coming. She had it coming. You know, yeah. right? Um, Which is problematic. Yeah. Right. Very problematic. Um, you know, because that you know bleeds out into other you know other areas of life. You know, beyond that. Um, but you know, when dealing with issues like that, really put yourself in the place of the individual, um, and 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 come forward and not say this is a woman's issue. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, how often do you hear you know the argument that um, you know I've I've often heard the argument that um, you know it's not really a big deal if an, if a if a health insurance policy doesn't cover birth control because why should uh the the men in that policy carry the burden of that yes but viagra is covered though exactly you can, yeah. but you know who That's are privilege. The, you know who, who are women sleeping with that you know that they require birth control not to mention the fact that um you know there are a lot of of women that are on birth control for medically for medical reasons, right? right. Exactly. You know, not right. necessarily, be, mm-hmm. you know, for contraceptive reasons. Absolutely. So, and th- and these are just not women's issues, uh, yeah. black women's issues. These are all women's. These are all women's. Issues. Issues. And yeah. these so are, this transcends, you know, race. Right. Yeah. It's a family issue. Absolutely. Right. It's, it, um, in one in, in one mm-hmm. instance, it could be a medical issue or another. Um, it's a people issue. Right. It true. Is. True. There you go. And, it, exactly. And to show up, issue. you got to have the conversation. Right. You know, and maybe we can help with providing information and tools to how to start this conversation in households, because people tend to shy away with, you know, uh, issues of controversy or issues that they think will, you know, start a fight or an argument. Right. But these are family issues, you know. The, exactly. And I think that men have to understand the onus. We, we've always placed the the burden on, um, on a woman. Exactly. Right. The, uh, you know, you think about it from an evolutionary perspective. Uh, the burden has always been placed on the woman to bear the child. The man could pull his resources at any time and move on. The burden is still left, and we still have that. And 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 then the regulation—I can't even talk—the regulation of when you can and cannot, right? right and choose right. is is very interesting. Jordan, you talk about consent. I think that's still at the forefront of our minds. It, it's you know with the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Um, how is Lyft's ideology really standing at the forefront of what consent, you know, and making sure that men understand what consent looks like. Um, And even as we talked about in our pre-conversation, just in everyday conversation, because we often think that consent happens in the bedroom, right? But consent happens in conversation. So how is Lyft as an organization ensuring that they are getting men involved in this conversation? Well, I mean, in the context of the work that we do, I think of consent in the terms of, you know, what that means. And I think of it more like in, in terms of what that means to, um, you know, beyond, cons- you know, obviously consent in the bedroom. But I think in terms of what that means to a woman just in everyday life and how she has to, you know, how she has to carry herself in the workplace um, or how she engages with people in public. And it's it's simple things like, 
um, this sounds, this may sound silly, but it's, it's something as simple as, um, you know, I, I group it in the category of kind of, you know, how we as a society police women's bodies Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how, you know, how often someone will walk up to a woman and say, Hey, you know what? You should smile. Um, you know, and Mm -hmm. I, and I've often, you know, backed up and been like, would you tell your buddy that? Right. (laughs) And to tag on to what Geraldine is saying, I mean, it goes beyond conversations just with women. We need to be talking to our young men. There you go. I I think it's a great point, um, And some of the education that we hope to do on some of the college campuses, reaching out to the coaches who coach football players and soccer players, male soccer players and, and, and football players, so they can have the conversations that are oftentimes not going on in right. their homes. Right. Um, so, And that's a way Lyft Louisiana is also getting engaged, doing civic engagement in the community by m- making these partnerships um, and hopefully, you know, putting together strong collaborations on college campuses with other affiliate organizations, affiliations within Louisiana. So, so the fight, we have more people in the fight. Right. We got more, we got more dog in the fight, as some people say. That's interesting that you said that those collaborations. I was um, on a panel at Propeller on Saturday, and one of the organizations uh, actually is a, um, doing some recreation uh, programming out in Kenner. Oh. Uh. <laughs> out in Kenner. Uh, for our, na- for our national <laughs> listeners, you uh, need to read uh, all of that yeah, that's uh, about show. the Kenner mayor and Nike. But she was talking about how there's an opportunity to partner with them to really have this conversation with the coaches around um, masculinity, hyper-masculinity, toxic masculinity, and how it pervades in the coaching down to the young players and then that how that becomes socialized you think about my coaches you know i respect my coach he's talking to me this way he's a leader i see him as a leader he acts this way and so i'm going to um mimic this behavior behavior. Mm -hmm. and then that behavior goes becomes embedded into our young men as you said and so there's an opportunity to talk about what healthy masculinity looks like absolutely all the way down right and so it has to begin we unpack it from a systems level beginning with the coaches beginning with the parents and you'll be surprised that even though this is what young people think they see and a lot of times, some of those coaches might not have had those important conversations right. within their family, mm-hmm. be it that the father was not there or there wasn't a strong role model that they could have the conversation. Right, right exactly. And we need to make sure that in these mentoring perspectives, right, and I've talked about that in my work at length, that even though you are a black man or a man of color and you're going and mentoring, if you have not done the work yourself, right, if you have not done the work yourself, you cannot be an asset to that child, right, right? boy or girl, right? Um, And so we have to make sure that our men are doing the work, and that that is the impetus for this show. As I think about as I close, uh, our time is running short, but one of the things is, as we think about as men, we have to understand how women's bodies are policed. And a couple things have come up, uh, Christ the King and the uniform policy and how our young sisters and their braids, right, this, um, were chastised and then put out of school. That's problematic, right? Um, I wanted to actually see and I, more men step up with that um, and really be a part of that conversation because these are our daughters. Um, as well as, you know, over the last couple of weeks, um, one of our superheroes, um, Serena Williams, and so we were all up in arms about the the catsuit that she wore at the um, 
at the French Open and how the French Open has now banned the cat suit. But then we also got to see, you know, firsthand um, how a woman basically was berated for basically being emotional, right? In a time, in an emotional time, uh, doing a very, very heated match when you are considered one of the greatest players and on the verge, hopefully, of winning your 24. So the pressure... Uh, to have that. So can y'all speak to that just in the, in the waning moments, how you felt? Um, well, as a black woman, the- I can tell you how I felt. They've been riding Serena all year. Um, even before she came back after pregnancy, she was ranked like 800th. Or something. She wow. left number one. Right. And how you come back 800th, I, I don't do the math. I don't know. I'm not that good at math. But anyway, um, the fact that she's got the pressure on her to perform, yeah, concentration is everything. You break somebody's concentration, right, it's hard right. to get them back on mm-hmm. that game. But she's just been the target, you know, and and I think it's because she's a threat. Mm. She's a threat by her looks, her power, her strength, um, which, you know, in that game of tennis, I think they chastised her one time. She wanted to change a top, and she took the top off. She had a sports bra on, and they chastised her and told her she can't do that. And the guy that won the, the U.S. Open I can't think of his name Djokovic. right now. Took his shirt off and like sat right. in a chair right. for four minutes. You know, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And they said nothing to him about that. Right, right. So it's definitely one sided. And we need to make sure that we're more vocal. Like, you know what? This is who cares, right, Geraldine? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree. I think that uh, in in the case of Serena Williams, and and you know, she has um, been um, targeted with uh, you know excessive. Um, drug testing, um, right. you know, regulations on what she can or cannot wear, you know, looking at that, that bodysuit, which was a, a medically prescribed device right. to prevent mm. blood clots. Right. Absolutely. Because right. she almost died. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah, as a result um, of giving birth. Right. Yeah. And then her behavior on, you know, on, on at the U.S. Open, I don't think it was any different. And in fact, it was quite tame compared to some some of the you know behavior we've seen from, from male players. John McEnroe. Exactly. There you go. Exactly. exactly. Grew up with McEnroe. Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I did as well, you know, and, and his behavior, well, I'm sure he was fined for it. I mean, he was applauded and, and that was his reputation. He was the bad He's boy. He's the of bad boy of tennis. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, so, and, and the other aspect of that is that, you know, the way that, you know, the two women have been, uh, you know, kind of painted as archetypes against each other. Right. Both of them are black women. Absolutely. Um, and they've kind of been they, they've kind of been painted in the media as, you know, um, you know, these archetypes. One as the angry, you know, black, the angry woman. black woman. And then the, docile. The, the other is, you know, this docile woman that doesn't, you know, bother to remind you that right. she's black, which is not the case. She's right. very proud of both. Her, her heritage. Her, both, both uh-huh. her Japanese and Haitian heritage. Right. Geraldine, Robin, uh, I'm just grateful for our time and I'm looking forward to this partnership. Lift Louisiana will be on the show uh, at least once a quarter uh, to, as we discuss different things that are coming up, uh, ensuring that we as men uh, have our place, right, to make sure that we are in front, beside, or in the back, depending on the context and where we're needed to make sure that we're activists, ensuring that women have everything that they need to thrive. I appreciate the time, ladies. Thank you. I look forward to the next time you're on the show. You've been listening to the What's Your Revolution show. My guest on the other side is the incomparable Neil Weeks, Executive Director of Citizens She United. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back to the What's Your Revolution show. 
want to thank my guests, Geraldine Neville and Robin Barber from Lyft, Louisiana. Shout out to Michelle Nuremberg and her revolutionary organization and the great work that they are doing. We are looking forward to the partnership with them, us, and what's a revo- them and what's a revolution. Talking about how men can ensure as they find the health, how they find and embrace the healthiest versions of themselves, they can be activists for everyone. I am joined now. Mm, I don't even know. You know what I'm saying? How, how do we even say this? Like, I don't even know if the room is big enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like this, this woman just walked in. Uh, the Nia Weeks. Um, so as president CEO, what is the title? Just to make executive sure. Executive director executive, and founder. Executive director <laughs> and founder of Citizen She United. Um, you know, just what's your revolution? That's what I want to ask you. I've been dying to ask you that question. What's so what's, what's your I revolution? Love I love it. You know, my revolution is freedom for all of us, right? Hmm. And so, and centering it around black women's political engagement okay right Ooh, i like yeah. that yeah 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 <laughs> mm. so as my uh as robin just said you know she's going to be go- going to georgia to canvas for yes, stacy abrams you know ma'am. shout yes, out ma'am. shout out to stacy abrams and uh andrew gillum as yes. they are trying to make history in Bruh. the south right i if there's any place i want to be on election night is either florida or georgia yeah so Soak in the thing. Mm, you know, <laughs> I'm so ready. and when I saw, I was in Florida mm-hmm. um, when the the day after he had won the primary. I was in there that night. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I was like, and I don't know what's going on with Florida, right? I'm not paying attention. <laughs> I live in Louisiana, right? but I'm like, what? Who is Andrew Gilliam, mm-hmm. right? And yep. I'm like, what? He's the real deal too. He is, but Stacey Abrams. She's the real deal. She is the real deal, <laughs> you know. And to think about. Where we have been over the last two years and how when our president endorses candidates and and has given them this leeway and almost the motivation to act, you know, in racist and white supremacist ways. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And to deter or diminish the accolades and the accolades and power that these candidates bring, particularly Stacey Abrams being a black woman, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be really, really interesting. So how does your organization, right, thinking about empowering black women, mm-hmm. how does that take on, how do you push, right, more women to step out like Stacey Abrams? Yeah, it's, a, it's, and it's really interesting because we have a lot of black female elected officials throughout the state. Right. But they're mostly in the judiciary. Okay, right? right. So we don't have a lot of executive office black women, right? Mm-hmm. However, when you look at that second tier, right, the people who have helped them get elected, help uh, do their policy analyzing and do all the, the pieces, what's the group that they count on the most to come out to vote for them, it's black women, right? right? But there hasn't been the ability to have real good candidates across the board that represent us and our issues, where we are, that we don't have real champions in those executive spaces, right? We have some people that will listen to us, have a meeting with us. But we don't have like who who would you say champions black women's issues in the state? You <laughs> <laughs> Lift Louisiana. Right, right, right. right. There's an organization, but right. at, at the policy making right. level Um not I would say Representative lot. Patricia Smith. Absolutely, Patricia right. Smith, Barrow, right? right? We have some that will that will step up, but, like, where's their support? Where's right, the, where, exactly. And when you look and we say, like, we are the um, highest voting block, right? Exactly. So that number should be more, right? That's, when that we, number should be more. It should be more. Um, when we talk about, you know, like, you know, I, I, the thing that, like, really struck me 
was Alabama, right? And everyone's like, yay, the black women saved us from the pedophile, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yay. But what has that office done for black women since? Since then. Right? Right. What has happened for to push black women's issues since then? And how much detriment has come out of Alabama against black communities mm, since, then, since then? Right? Right. And exactly. so it's like, you know, we will come out, we will vote, we vote along, um, I think it's 96% of the time we vote along issue, right? You know, all all the way down down the ballot, right? We'll vote um, for the candidate that will protect our civil liberties the most. Right, exactly. But there's no real pathway to power, right? Even now, when there's like this whole like black women are kind of like the thing right now. We're kind of like the it thing. However, we're still fighting for funding. We're still fighting to be acknowledged and legitimized, right? When things happen, like what happened with Serena, right? You would think since black women are the thing, we would have this large amount of support around, like, look at how this black woman is being treated. And it's kind of like, it's there, but not really as, as, as engrossed as it should be when the world, this country counts on black women and the things that black women do consistently all the time. Right. And then think about this from a black man's perspective. We count, Right. We count on you. Yes. Um, I think about as I, we've talked at length on the show how many of us go to our sisters mm-hmm. to to unleash, and when I say unleash, to un, to unleash our pain. Yes. Um, we don't go to our brothers. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm actually trying to advocate for mother, more brothers to go to brothers. But uh-huh. we go. My mentors are women, are yeah. black women. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the interesting thing about that. But in turn, how do we make sure? That, and, and I'm just saying, uh, uh, arbitrary, not arbitrary, but a rhetorical question. How do we make sure that we give the full force of who we are mm-hmm. back? Right. Right. And, and I think that's the, that that is the key um, in saying that. So the simple question is, mm-hmm. how do we show up? Yeah. What do you need? What What do you need? Be the best, right? Be the best <laughs> of what people can bring. And part of that is, I think the first thing that needs to happen is for and we're talking about specifically black men, right? Is checking your own analysis. First and foremost. Ooh, what does right? that mean? Right? Ooh. And so, like, you hear, like, oh, yeah, I'm down with the black women. I'm down with the sisters. You know, we down. Well, then you're down with equal pay, right? Oh, no, nah, you know what I'm saying? I mean, not, <laughs> not, not all the way down with that. Well, then, then you, you believe that, you know, there should be equity, equity in, in these, you know, certain spaces. Oh, I mean, that sound cool and all, you know, but, like, you know, I'm not all the <laughs> way down with that, right? And, like, or, like, when you talk about, like, what, what's happening with Serena, right? right? It's like, bro, you know, she shouldn't have acted like that. You know how y'all black women act, right? That she, angry, that, that angry, angry black, black woman. woman. And it gets reinforced by black men sometimes. And when black men are the ones reinforcing it, then it gives the ability for our white counterparts mm-hmm. to be like, yes, yeah, see, the black man, he's around them all the time so he knows, he knows best, what's up right and did you just he, drop the mic on him yeah <laughs> what did you just say you said it gives them yeah. right we're watching we're watching you and if you are saying and treating women like mm-hmm. black women like that then we can too then we can too wow. absolutely and black men actually should be a line of defense right? right i remember when we were doing the um the women's march and i i i I'm not going to say on the air what I call the Women's March, um, the first one. Um, however, you know, it was a lot of white women pushing their issues. Mm-hmm. And when we asked for our issues to be present, they were like, nah, bro, like, it's really about, like, these issues, not these issues. So you completely discount us where we were. Right. However, the desire was for black women to surround the white women during the march and kind of be a barrier of protection. 
and it should have been the opposite. Right. right. It should have been because of your privilege, because of the things that you are exposed to, right? right. And, and the lack of, of desire for this community to harm you the way they look at to harm us, it actually should be a barrier of protection around the black women right. so that we can really push our issues and we can all be seen. Right. So we can thrive. So we can thrive. We can thrive. Right? And... And so the expectation should be, nah, bro, you, you can come for a whole bunch of stuff, but you ain't coming for our women, right? We gonna take care, you know, make sure that we utilize our, our privileged space because even though the black family as a whole is being, uh, detrimentally affected by the policies and procedures of this country, right? Black women, receive the the majority of it. When you look at economic equity, you know, and it goes white men, black men, white women, black women. And right. black women make 47 cents every dollar that white men make, right? Say it and again. we're ta- 47, 47 cents. cents, right? And we're talking about an uh, uh, a state where 68% of black households are led by women. So we're talking about trying to protect, and we know that everything that, that, that is detrimental around us is surrounded by economics, where we live, our housing, where our kids are able to be educated, um, our involvement in the criminal justice system, all surrounding economics, right? So you would think that the first group that would want us to be able to get paid so that we can take care of our families would be black men because there's a privilege there that even though we're both detrimentally affected, there's a privilege there because black men are right there under white men, right? right? And so that advocacy could be, you know, no, we we all need to get paid, but these women need to get paid at least up to our standards, right? right? And so the pushback that I hear from from – from the brothers. Yeah, it, I want to know. Yeah, the, pu- the, the pushback. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking. The pushback here is that I hear is that they feel mm-hmm. that because of what's going on, because black women are pushing and pushing really, really hard, mm-hmm. that there has been a upending, that we are fighting a little bit harder than black women. So it's a very, very interesting conversation. That black men are fighting for economic equity for themselves yes, or for women? Right, for, for themselves. For themselves. Right, mm-hmm. right. Be, be, the feeling is, mm-hmm. the feeling is is that we're seeing sisters who are thriving, mm-hmm. right? And it may be because media is pushing, you know, pushing that narrative that, okay, mm-hmm. here are these Stacey Abrams, here are these strong sisters, strong sisters like yourself who are out in front and we're seeing black mm-hmm. women thriving, mm-hmm. right? And you're like, well, wait a minute, you know, like you said, we need to place that barrier, but there, the perception is. Mm-hmm. But how often are we really having that conversation? Right, because the reality is, is I'm not a represent, I'm not an accurate representation, even though I'm an, I am a representation for every black woman like me that's able to travel and get my degree. Right, there's 25 sisters mm-hmm. tell, tell standing the right there right. that are like, bro, I can't, like, I can't get. M- right. Exactly. My food, I can't pay my rent. And that is the reality of what the existence of black women look like, right? right? Even though, Tell like, story, to me, Nia. you know, economic disparity, you know, I may make 60, right? As an attorney when I was doing public defense, right? I, I wasn't doing bad. I have right. a law degree, not doing bad. Making, making, recognizing, though, that the white men in the office were making way more than me, right? right? And that hurt. That hurt bad. Right. I couldn't move the way I'm a single parent, can't move the way I want to move, but I'm moving. I'm moving and I can make and I can I can what what I what women are able to do with the pot that we have is phenomenal. Right. Right. So I'm able to move and and it looks like I'm doing dope. Everyone's like, oh, look at this. But for me, even though that hurt, if I were making twenty three thousand dollars a year. 
with those same four kids in the same city that hurt, it looks a whole, whole lot, lot different, different, right? It does. And what I have to do to maneuver and make it work looks a lot different than Nia making 60, right? Right. And so the things that I have to do are not always within this sphere. You know, I, I was talking to somebody about the idea of choice. And they were saying that, you know, we just need to get people to make better choices for their lives. And I was like, mm-hmm. or we need to give people better options, right. right? We need to work on the system. The system, because the choices that people have, they're actually making the best choice out of can. the choices that they got. Right. No one's sitting there thinking like, you know what? I'm going to make a dumb choice about my life today. They're thinking, wow, look, I'm, I'm sitting here and it's either I take this bag of, uh, of, of chips or I starve. Starving don't feel so good. It does not right? feel good. No, and not and I got these kids that go starve too. So let me go ahead and take these chips as opposed to them starving. Right. right? And those that and that was a choice. But society will look at it and say she should have never made that choice. Mm. She should get a better job. Right. She should get, get right. a better place to live. And there's no system in place that will allow that to happen. Right. Right. I, I agree. And and how the system also hampers mm-hmm. hampers black men, right? To be in, and so I think some of that internalization is like. I still have to fend for myself, mm-hmm. right? Even though I might be 67, I still got to fend. But we have to understand, all right, regardless of whatever relationships that you may be in, we still need to be able to wrap ourselves around each other, mm-hmm. right? Yes. We need, still need to be able to wrap ourselves around each other and say, I'm going to protect you. Absolutely. Right? And, and I think that's the critical piece. Let's move because our time is going to run short, okay. uh, you know, <laughs> and Rachel will be here. She was like, you missed it. You've been listening to the What's Your Revolution show with Dr. Charles Corporu. Uh, today's conversation really has been about how men can be an activist for women, uh, people in the LGBTQ population. How do we make sure that we are activists and show up using our privilege, mm-hmm. right, to use it as a use it as a superpower, as I say in my mm-hmm. trainings? Um, so, Nia, how tell us more about your organization and how you are doing, you know, in your work and how we uh, how we can support what you do. Uh, absolutely. So, like I said, you know, we don't have a lot of black women in executive spaces. Mm-hmm. We didn't have real pathways to power, especially for marginalized community, right? So when we talk about black women, when you talk about black women that are on the margins of society, we're talking about even more detrimental spaces, right? So women who are part of the LGBTQ community and women who are trans. And I separate that out very specifically mm-hmm. because trans women's experiences are very, different. very different. Exactly. Um, women who are living with, with illnesses, you know, HIV, cancer, um, you know, things that affect their bodies, Um, women who are doing sex work, right, and and survival sex work. Like, what their lives look like when they're pushed to the margins is very real. And I feel that policy advocacy is a way, is a pathway to get to a more equitable space. Mm. And so Citizen She responds to creating a pathway of leadership and hope and and training and – and goodness around and 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 utilizing a space that brings together um, women who are members of the links and women who are formerly incarcerated under an umbrella of working together to push for our issues, to push for us to be seen. Because when we are seen, when black women win, everybody wins. And right? we see that. And it, it, <laughs> we it, see it, that, it, right? It's a real thing. It's something like what? Like yes. that, that black girl magic is for real. It's very real. And, it, and, 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 and you know, and it, it is all encompassing. And when black women, especially when we're talking about, like I said, a state where 68% of the households are led by women, right? 68%. 68%, right? And so if these. In a, hold on. In a state that incarcerates more black men than. And that's. 
Right. And, and, and the thing about, the, you know, when I, you know, cause I used to be a public defender and I do have a criminal practice. It's very interesting that every single case I have that involves a man, about 75% of the time, the person who's helping them navigate their case is a woman. Every time. And they're the ones paying bills, making sure that, you know, they're there. Miss Nia, she, he gonna be at court on time. Miss Nia, you know, I got this, I got this, I got this. For my women, they navigate their cases by themselves. Shut up. Every time. Every time. If they're not navigating by themselves, it's another woman right. helping them out. But they don't have male counterparts helping them figure out and navigating through. Even when it's cases um, that um, involves somehow involves a, a male that should be helping them through, they don't get that support. And they will show up at court by themselves. They'll slip me my, my money. And they will, you know, I, I, I got to move this around, Nia, for this to happen. But they move by themselves. So when I say criminal justice affects everybody, it does. But it affects women across the board because they're also trying to protect their communities. Right. Right. And right. so there's that level. The worst jurors right now are black women if you're a defense attorney. Because they're the ones that are like, nah, no, bro. <laughs> we <laughs> like, no, we're not we letting this happen. Exactly. So there's so many layers of protection that black women hold. Right. right. And, and trying Tell to. Story, but then when we're like, okay. Okay, my turn. I kind of need some help and support this way. It's like, oh no, we tired. We don't have time for that. You know, we'll get to that later. We got. We but we need you to continue to support all of these efforts. So we're so exhausted from protecting everybody else that we don't have the time for ourselves. And Citizen She takes the time to invest in Black women in this state so that we can reinvest into everybody else. That's, that's who we are. Wow. <laughs> wow. No, I, and I love that. And I love that. I want to make sure that everybody heard that. How can people make sure that they can get as much information? I want to put that out there now be, to, before we continue our conversation. Mm-hmm. Give us all the information. So our website, it, it, it's the best place to go. CitizenSheUnited.com. Um, it gives you, we have a video. It's it getting amped up. That's right. uh, see the video. See the video. See, so the, see video. the video. Um, we also, um, we're reamping that. We're getting an app that will be downloadable next week. Um, it'll allow you to be engaged and do some organizing amongst community nice. and, and, and some legislative accountability is going to be on there too. <laughs> Uh, we have our website, or you can follow us on Facebook, right. um, um, uh, on Twitter, and Instagram, Citizen She United. Okay, yep. wonderful. Just to come back to the conversation, as you said, that the work is making sure that you can reinvigorate women, mm-hmm. right? Particularly women of color, particularly black women, you know, so that they can go back out. One of the other things that I heard is that your partnerships, yes. right? You're bringing a diverse group of women. Together and mm-hmm. that that has to happen intentionally. Yes. Intentionally, yes. And, and and I love. It. Speak to some of the things that you've seen, and then how can men be more involved in that process? Mm-hmm. So, um, some you know, a lot of the women, like you know, women who have been uh, allowed to navigate with more economic equity than others, right? Don't have the haven't had the opportunity to engage with communities that haven't, right? And so there's just this really awesome um, uh, learning space that happens through empathy and understanding on, on least common denominators, right? And that's been really, really fantastic. But also like my women who have um, not had as much engaging with women who have, right? Mm-hmm. And them being able to see them as humans too, right? right? Not as the enemy, right? And so these cross 
things are happening across board that women we're, we're seeing each other for who we are. So like even when we do our membership, right? If you are pay five dollars for your membership, you pay five hundred dollars for your membership. Ain't no difference right, except the where they exactly. Are. It just means that you're able to invest more mm-hmm. into making the work happen. Right. So you know, allies can always give money. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that, <laughs> brother. You, you, you heard that. You know, right. you know right. we are having our launch October nineteenth and twentieth. Um, we are doing a five part, five minute documentary series on what it looks like for black women to navigate the issues. We have some phenomenal black women that are a part right. of this. Um, and so we're looking for sponsorship tables. You can actually so you your, you or your business can sponsor and get your name in the program, but you can also sponsor a community table. Community table is a thousand dollars and that thousand dollars will allow us to invite black women in the community that wouldn't be able to afford the tickets to the event, right? right? And so that's one way um, that I'm, I'm telling, like, you know, partners, you know, if you really want to make sure that people are able to be there, you know, you can buy a table and... You know, we we you know we know community members, and we can, we'll be able to invite them to be a part of it as well. Um, but there's small things you can do when they have days at the Capitol. If you have black women that are that are your, that you employ, give them the day off with pay. Right. Right. If you know that there's a, a a school event or something like that, give them the day off with pay. Right. There's small things that we can do um, within our own spaces, within our own realms, that shows that we are a lot. We get it. Right. We get it. And so even in our, in our more intimate spaces, mm-hmm. how do you want us to show up? I- intimate, like in, in relationships? In relationships, friendships. Yeah. yeah. Enter conversations with an open mind. And don't devalidate the feelings and thoughts of the women that you're talking to, right? Mm. Using words like crazy. Yeah, you're killing it. Are emotional or you know can't handle it i know it's too much for you like saying those things degrades how we feel and degrades our experiences right or trying to over talk or explain your experience so that you know i relate to you because let me tell you what happened to me <laughs> right and it's like you just, just listen <laughs> just, right just we do listen. that all the time exactly right you know there, there's communities that i walk into all the time where i exude privilege Right. The minute I walk in that space as a, with a law degree, right, I exude privilege. Mm-hmm. My job is to take that step back right. and to listen and understand. So mm-hmm. it's it's something that we all have to do, and I think that's something really important for, for men to do with the women. No, I, I, I totally agree, um, being able to step back. And I know, and I, I'm often vulnerable on the show, is that when I get into, discom- into discomfort um, with women in conversations, I'm quick to be like, all right, peace. Right? <laughs> like, all right, peace. We've got time to okay. roll out, right? Yes, yes. And we as men have to make sure that we stay in that discomfort, which is not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to stay in that discomfort, to have the conversation, to to have the conversation, um, and to learn, right? I, I have been in difficult conversations over the last couple of weeks and, and wanted to run. Yes. But we make sure if we're going to do this work and we're going to do this work together. Yep. We need to we need to make sure that. Um, we stay in, in the discomfort and Plant learn together. Plant your feet and open your ears. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's been a great show. It's been a great show. You've been listening to the Western Revolution Show with Dr. Charles Corpru. I've spent the last half hour with my good friend and the incomparable Nia Weeks, Executive Director of Citizen She United. Make sure you check out everything, citizensheunited.com. Yeah. That's everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. 